Steve, how's it going, my man? Good, really good. Yeah, it's another beautiful day here in Idaho. So, yeah, I like it. You're getting towards the end of the week, and uh, hopefully, you can get out this weekend. I know you said something about maybe some camping or bear hunting, so we got to make that happen, man. Yeah, yeah, haven't haven't made a decision yet. It's my uh, turn the big three six on Friday, so it's kind of a have an open. Uh, Open weekend from the wife to either take the you know I was either go bear hunting or take the whole uh, family camping. Haven't haven't decided yet. Yeah. <laughs> probably probably go camping with the family and then maybe sneak out for like an overnight bear hunt in the middle of the week next week or something. There so. you go. I like your birthday because it makes you be a year older than me for a few months. Oh <laughs> uh, man, they're just going by. I still I still feel like I'm probably 24. I mean, the difference between 24 and now, I I don't you know. I guess I'm a little more achy in the morning, but other than that, I still I still think I'm 24 anyways. So. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I talked to a customer the other day, and uh, he called. He was from Alaska, and we were just chatting about packs, and he was trying to figure out what he wanted to go with and ended up ordering one. But I didn't know it at the time talking to him, but it came up basically after we got done talking about packs. We were talking about his hunts and how he was doing this backpack sheep hunt there in Alaska, and he was going in, and it was solo, and I was asking him questions about that. And he like casually mentioned at the end that he was sixty eight. What? Was like, that is so freaking uh, rad, man, to be uh, sixty eight. And he was literally—I mean, he got a sixty four hundred. Like he was legit. He was packing in for ten days on a sheep hunt solo in Alaska. It's like, dang, man. <laughs> I yeah, sure hope I'm able to do that. I think if you if you most guys, if you're healthy, you exercise throughout your life, you, you got to be able to get into. 60 probably and then yeah pushing 68 that's crazy that's impressive man it's, it's really cool especially up there in alaska yeah cool yeah speaking of alaska we had that episode with uh rafe drop yesterday um that was a fun one man he's a character to talk to not only had like good lessons to share he's just one of those guys that's basically fun to share a campfire with if you will yeah let's hit some questions we had this was an interesting one that just came up. I love this question because it's so like, I feel out of left field of a very specific scenario, but then getting to think about it, it, it could apply to guys for sure. And we've had related questions on guys worried about getting their trucks broken into that type of thing. So we'll get to it. But this guy wrote in and said, this year, my brother expects to draw a limited entry hunt in Colorado for archery elk, and we've allotted two weeks for this hunt. I don't have enough points to draw this unit, but I'm still planning to hunt over the counter if there's time left after filling my brother's tag. So this guy's going out. His brother has a limited tag. This guy's hunting with his brother for that tag. They fill that tag. They have two weeks. He's going to hunt over the counter after that. So he says, what should I do with my bow while helping my brother on his hunt? I don't want to leave my bow in the truck for a few days due to high temperatures and the possibility of it getting stolen, but I also don't want to pack around the additional weight. And I'm not even sure if I can carry a weapon in a unit that I don't have a tag. Any thoughts or feedback? Greatly appreciated, and thanks for all the great content. Interesting question, Steve. That is an interesting question. Um... I think I've been in, I mean, uh, well, no question. Yeah. I mean, I, I could think of Colorado a few years back. I killed my bull first day and then I just, uh, actually we had packed, we had brought down like a little cargo trailer. Um, and so I just put my bow back in the case and threw it in the, in the back of that cargo trailer and it was locked up and, 
you know, is attached to the truck and locked to the truck. Uh, and we, we weren't at a major trailhead, but we were definitely like just off the side of the road on the way to a major trailhead. So plenty of cars were driving by it and it wasn't something I was overly concerned with. Um, I would think, um, you know, the, the, a, uh, you know, Colorado, September, you probably aren't talking about extreme high temperatures. Uh, so it's probably okay in your vehicle if you can park like with some shade, right? There's some somewhat close to a tree where that uh, it's getting some shade during the day, you know, at least maybe half of the day is exposed to the sun and half's not. Uh, but you shouldn't be talking about, um, you know, 90 plus degree temps. It's probably going to be more like 70, 75 on a really warm day. Um, so if you, if it's 75 and you're in the shade, I think you'd be totally fine. One thing I've done though, um, was take, uh, I had a, this was years ago I did this, but I took an old sleeping bag that I had, um, you know, folded up the seats in the back of the truck, laid the bow case on the, on the bottom and then put that sleeping bag on top of the bow. Um, and that, you know, at night everything's going to cool down and then that's just going to kind of insulate it, um, from that extreme heat in the middle of the day. And this was like, a, this was like during a, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was in the summertime. It must've been like at an archery shoot or something where I knew the bow was going to be in the, the back of the truck, uh, mm-hmm. all day long or something like that. And I was doing something else, you know? Um, so that worked great. I think that was a good way to kind of keep the direct heat off of it. Uh, I saw the, the email pop through this morning on that question. And then my first, uh, reaction was we need to get a, uh, a bowstring maker on here or, or really specifically one of the, an engineer from one of the materials companies and, and talk about that. Cause is this just some old wives tale? Uh, you know, I, I think everyone says don't leave your bow in a hot truck, but is this some old wives tale that, uh, maybe doesn't exist anymore you know i could see if like materials have changed and if materials have changed and, yeah. and they don't stretch it and they aren't as susceptible to heat uh i mean i think there's a big difference between like putting the bow on the dash of your truck on a 100 degree day because yeah it could probably get 130 degrees inside there for sure um but in the back seat you know underneath a blanket on yeah. a on a 90 degree day is there any chance something's going to happen I'd, I'd love to talk to somebody and get that answer because it helped you know make it lives every everybody's lives a little bit easier but uh yeah so i guess um the going back to his question as far as like packing it with him or leaving it in the truck i'd say if you're like statistical odds chance like on his back there's probably a way higher percentage that he jacks up his bow like falls and lands on it um and does more damage to than than the odds of just leaving it in the truck and having it stolen Um, it's probably safer in the truck, just hanging out, not, you know, not on your pack all day long, getting beat up. So, and he was mentioning specifically the legality of it because he's headed into a unit with his brother where he doesn't have a tag. And I would wholeheartedly not carry a weapon into a unit during an open season when you don't have a tag. Yeah, I would, I would bet, um, if he was like really wanted to carry it, I imagine the unit's probably an over the counter bear tag or, or, you know, there's some animal that he could probably technically be hunting if he wanted to make it legal. If he buys uh, that tag or license. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if he buys a, a bear tag and, and re- if he's just dead set on that, I would imagine there's a, a way to do that. Um, cause I've done that. Like I've gone elk hunting with my dad and I was already tagged out, but I had a, a bear tag in my pocket. Right. So I'm just like, oh, I'll pack my bow in case we stumble on a bear. 
Um, I don't think, you know, that's technically legal. So, uh, yeah, good question. That's something that probably guys run into quite often, but I've never heard it asked before. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, your your point about the sleeping bag, not only from helping that manage the temperature of the bow, made me think of just that whole idea of leaving it and theft. So having, you know, a bow case sitting in the back of a vehicle, I wouldn't advise that. I'd try to obscure it. But at the same time, you got to figure that most guys are assuming if there's a bow case in a vehicle and nobody's around, it's probably an empty empty. bow case because they're out hunting. Um, But just in terms of obscuring it, I don't obviously know what this guy's rig set up like. But even if you, like if it's a truck and you have a shell or if it's, you know, an SUV and you lay the back seats down, actually laying out a sleeping bag and making it look like someone is sleeping in the back of the rig, you know, last night. And then just using that to kind of hide gear, even not only managing the temperature, but maybe you actually put your bow in the sleeping bag just so it's not seen, not visible. And it just looks like some, you know, dirt bag sleeping in his car, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's quite possible. Another um, thing is, you know, they have like locking tonneau covers. Um, I have a tonneau cover on my truck. It's not a locking one, but it's always noticeably cooler inside that than inside the cab. If I have the cab you know, all the windows open, um, or all the windows up, uh, and it's, you know, a hot day. You, you jump in that cab, it's really hot. I could crawl underneath that tonneau cover and it's going to be, you know, 20 degrees cooler. So that's definitely an option too, is, uh, if it's whoever's rig they're driving out has a locking tonneau cover. I'd imagine a camper shell is going to be the same as the truck windows where it's going to amplify the heat. But, uh, yeah, I think he's got some options there for sure. Or, I mean, that the other one is, uh, I mean, if he's really, really worried about it, you know, I'm sure there's a town nearby with some type of storage, something you could do, you know, um, reach out to somebody, um, a hotel maybe, or a, maybe a taxidermist, or I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's there's probably plenty of options um, for him to, to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've encountered... You know, I've I've been on some warm elk hunts in Colorado, but back to your original point, if you're remotely in the shade, man, I don't know that I'd worry about it. I don't know that you're getting enough temperatures where if you're remotely in the shade and you're not, as you said, just leaving the bow out to be in direct sunlight through the window, I'm not sure I'd worry about it, but yeah. Cool. We, uh, more feedback on, you know, we've talked so much about boots and we've actually taken a good break from the whole boot topic. Uh, but guys are basically saying, hey, you've talked so much about boots, but you haven't been too specific on mentioning socks. And people say how important socks can be for your boots and your experience with those boots. So with so many different brands, what do you guys look for in socks? Likes and dislikes, advantages and disadvantages, etc. Um, Yeah, to me, socks are pretty easy. A, just buy a good quality merino wool sock. Uh, hands down, darn tough seems to be the 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 most consistent best sock I've put on. There's a new one called Farm to Feet that I've uh, got a couple pairs of. I've really enjoyed. Um, they have a they're a little bit thinner sock, um, and they've got some. They kind of like sew these ridges into the top of the foot. Uh, it's hard to describe, but it actually feels pretty good. Like you put it on, you put your shoe on, you can kind of actually feel them there. It's like this extra little padding. Um, but I, I can't speak to the durability of them yet. I believe they put uh, some type of guarantee like Darn Tough does. Um, I've had uh, 
Smart wool socks, to me, just they're not as durable as darn tough. Uh, they, they seem to wear out over time. Um, so the, the darn tough have been really hard to beat. And they're, I was just on their website the other day because uh, I was looking for some super thick uh, wool socks to take to New Zealand for the, for the cold temps. Um, and man, darn tough has so many models now that, you know, 10 years ago is a little bit more limited, but there's pretty much a sock in there that's going to fit and work for you. Um, and then, so yeah, as far as like, just find a good Merino wool sock, this is my system. And then per my shoe that I'm wearing, um, basically through trial and error, I know which socks to wear with, with, which shoe. Uh, so certain, certain shoes have a little bit more room and, and kind of the heel cup area. And I need a, a thicker sock, uh, just to kind of fill up that void to keep my heel from shifting around. Other shoes are a little bit tighter on my foot. So I need a thinner sock to, to kind of cater to that. So I, I just, I literally just change my sock per the shoe. Um, and that's pretty much it, man. I, I guess I'm fairly fortunate and then I don't suffer, um, from a lot of foot issues probably cause I don't wear giant heavy boots all the time. Um, <laughs> what a subtle dig, <laughs> but, uh, I don't suffer from any, like, I haven't had to like, you know, I'm not just constantly dealing with blisters and, and sore spots and stuff like that. So it's, for me, it's pretty simple, but yeah. other guys I know go through, they wear liner socks and socks on top of that and have a way more complicated process. And that's just something I've never had to deal with. Yeah. How fortunate it must be to be Steve Speck. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're in the same boat as I am. No, I know I am. Yeah. yeah I, that was my key point on what you said about pairing a sock to a boot is critical and it's, you just can't make a recommendation. Like we can't say, oh, with this boot or the sock, it's completely personal. It's going to depend on how that boot fits your foot from a volume perspective, that type of thing. Like you just trial and error, have a bunch of different socks, different weights, um, and just notice like, oh, this one's a little bit thicker. It kind of fills the volume better. That same sock might be too thick to wear in a different boot. Um, and again, you know, sometimes it's not, um, when I say too thick to like wear, it's not that it's like catastrophic. It's just not ideal. Right. And so you just kind of figure that out. Um, you know, Merino is typically what I wear, but also on the sock front, if you're looking at Merino content, it's good to have, um, a blend. So, uh, you know, you want some synthetic in there for longevity is going to be helpful. Um, you know, you can, you can have a high Merino content, like 70, 80%, um, but if you get into hundred percent Merino, depending on construction, um, it might not be as durable for you. So that's just something to consider as we say Merino socks, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hundred percent Merino. Um, like you darn tough's been good. I've actually had some of those farm defeat socks. I don't know where I got them cause I literally had never heard of them. They just felt like they've showed up one day, uh, years ago and they have been very durable. So that's, that's a good one to look at. I've, you know, I've done some of the cheaper Merino blend socks from like Costco that have held up great too. So, um, first light socks, you know, there's all different options on, on length and, um, thickness, that type of thing. Uh, but yeah, it's just a little bit, a little bit of experimentation. I would just say that in general, a good Merino sock, um, with some level of blend to it is going to give you the best performance and be worth, uh, the quote unquote investment because they're not necessarily cheap, but they're going to be long lasting. And then what we've said, you know, in previous episodes, plenty is just making sure that you change them. So you can blame all you want 
on a sock, but if you're going out there and especially in warmer weather with sweaty feet, if you're not changing them, um, yeah, you're just going to run into issues potentially. So having that extra pair, uh, changing them, you know, on a hunt, I don't change them as much other than typically, uh, depending on the weather, like at the end of the day, I'll put fresh socks on before I crawl into the sleeping bag. Um, and maybe wear those the next day, depending. Um, and obviously, things like our death hike, we've been super um, on schedule of changing it like every break, every two to three hours. So it just is going to depend. But uh, yeah, it, it it does somewhat take some experimenting with what that boot feels like. And I would literally just think through, does this boot feel like it has extra room or play in it? Should I go with something a little bit thicker? Uh, does it feel snug in any certain areas? Should I go with something a little bit thinner? Um, you know, it's a judgment call there and take some experimenting. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add too that um, you can definitely, uh, like I've got my Solomons, I seem like I can wear whatever sock I want inside there and have no issues at all. Uh, and so I will, in that scenario, if it's really hot, I'll absolutely wear a, a thinner, lighter sock. You know, you're going to, uh, substantially notice a reduction in, in kind of how hot your foot gets. Um, so that's something to pay attention to and vice versa when it's cold. Um, a good thick wool sock is like, can really add a lot of warmth. Uh, but you have to have the room inside of the shoe to allow that to happen. Right. It's just like, it's like down insulation that you want that to expand. Um, like those Garmont, uh, tube call boots that, uh, that I was testing that you've got now, those were so narrow on my feet. Um, that my feet got pretty cold all the time because the sock was getting compressed. Um, but I've got uh, some ultra uh, Lone Peak mids that I wore for the death hike last year. And those, uh, if you're anyone's familiar with the ultra shoes, they're super, super roomy toe box. And I could, uh, I did a trip, um, a really cold weather trip. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, I just put on some good thick wool socks. I had some, some cheap ones that I bought on Amazon. Um, can't remember the name of them. It's like a six pack of them for, you know, 30 bucks or something like that. A durability stunk, but they were a good thick sock and I could get in like that ultra is a completely uninsulated shoe, but with a good thick wool sock on there and, and having that roomy toe box, I could really get into some cold temperatures with that and, and have really warm, toasty feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one other thing I'll add too is I did this last year. The sock really can play um a role in how the foot how the boot feels on your foot uh and i went um on a elk the elk hunt i did where i missed that bowl and had those seven bowls inside of 24 hours i was wearing the um technica forge boots and i specifically brought two very different socks i brought the farm defeat ones which were thin and then i brought my standard darn tough ones which were a little bit thicker and the reason i did that was uh, so I could kind of adjust, you know, like, okay, if I was feeling a little bit of, uh, you know, heel slip or pressure, I could slip on the darn tough or, or vice versa. Um, so it's something to play with if you're kind of, you don't have your system completely dialed in and know which sock works great. I'd bring like one of both on a hunt. That way you can kind of bounce back and forth as, as, uh, you know, your feet dictate to you what you need. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, on those six, thick socks it's worthwhile to keep in mind as you said it worked really well in the ultras because you had a lot of space it's almost that same idea of a sleeping bag insulation like the quote-unquote loft or that thickness of the sock needs some room to breathe to actually perform well so 
yeah shoving a thick sock and a tight boot isn't necessarily going to help you but like i said if you have the room for it that's going to make a big difference um you know another sock i just blanked on but we were actually uh we were given to kind of try this past winter there's a company called ellsworth um socks e-l-l-s-w-o-r-t-h um and they make a blend they have um have like basically grooves cut in them to kind of dissipate sweat and heat um they've they've performed well it was actually um this conversation came up and i wore those socks this morning on a pretty warm hike and even after that i was like you know they weren't like 100 percent dry um but they definitely managed moisture pretty well so those are something i'm kind of still testing playing with or again kind of a merino blend i think it's about 60 to 70 percent merino um so that's just another option um you know that kind of has a, a quote-unquote feature if you will and that's something i don't know steve you like you mentioned that the ridges on uh those socks do you look specifically for padding at all because that's you know that's one component of thickness is <clears throat> some socks aren't just going to be evenly distributed they're going to have like padding in certain areas do you ever play with that at all yeah, for sure. Like if you go to Darn Tufts website, they they refer to the padding as cushion. Um, so say like light cushion, full cushion, extra thick cushion, or extra full cushion, medium cushion. Um, my preferred sock, like uh, in Solomon's, is I think it's just the da- the Darn Tough, like standard hiker full cushion. So it's it's got more, you know, it's thicker at the base of the heel, the ball of your foot out by the toes. Then it's kind of thinner around the arch and thinner like on the on the top of your foot, and that's my preferred like balance of um, good cushion on the bottom side and a little bit thinner for better ventilation on the top side of it. But yeah, I think it's um, those socks definitely exist. You know, each company's got different styles, and uh, it's something definitely to pay attention to. And I said I was referring to the cushion on like how thick that heel is, right? To to filling up a void inside of a shoe. Uh, to to just get a, the best fit possible. Some sock geekery right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, another question we might have to contain your um, enthusiasm and response to here, Steve. Guys, you know, heard you about training and mountain biking. We've never specifically covered uh, anything on that. And a guy wrote in, curious what bike you ride and what recommendations you would have for someone getting into mountain biking recreationally. So I know, Steve, you've tried a lot of bikes and have had high-end bikes for racing and stuff like that, but a guy getting into mountain biking recreationally and potentially for hunting, uh, what's some advice that you would have for him in terms of what to look for in a mountain bike? Mm, for for hunting, I would absolutely look at fat tire bikes. Um, the In general, you're going to be riding on kind of logging roads that the you know i guess the the dirt could be a little bit softer or you're going to be riding in wetter conditions um and just those those fatter tire bikes really are they help a lot uh if you're new to it you definitely you don't want a fat tire bike to like to train and ride on as a weekly you know here you're trying to mountain bike three days a week in the hills above your house or whatever um but for that specific like riding on logging roads they're, they're great they just get killer traction you can ride over sticks and logs and rocks and stuff way easier than you can on a standard bike there are um bikes out there that are called plus tire bikes so they have a a 27 and a half plus and a 29 plus they're they're basically a 
a smack dab in the middle of a, a fat tire bike and a standard bike tire. Um, and they have a really high volume to them. So you can run lower air pressures inside of them. There was one, I just bought a new bike last year and I rode, I almost bought it. I think it was a Trek stash is what it was called. Trek stash 9.7 or something like that. And it was a 29 plus bike, uh, would be a killer all around bike for, uh, a guy wanting to get into to biking at home, uh, training for it and then use that crosswise for hunting. Um, personally, yeah, I've been on, started, uh, with a specialized stump jumper full suspension a long time ago, got into racing, switched to 29 or hardtails and ran different, uh, had a Scott scale for a while, uh, stump jumper, hardtail for a while, uh, all 29 tires, 29 inch tires. Uh, and then last year I, I rode a bunch and ended up settling on a, um, um, a specialized, uh, Epic, uh, pro, I believe it's called. So it's a full suspension bike, uh, with 29 inch tires. And, um, yeah, I, I'm absolutely loving it. The, the trails all around my house have a lot of cattle on them at times in the year. So they get pretty bumpy and rough, uh, and on the hardtail, uh, just wasn't all that much fun. And I'm less concerned about racing than I used to be. So um, yeah, that's my current bike, but, uh, I guess as, as good advice, I think it's kind of like, um, buy a, if you're on a budget, cause bikes can be stupid expensive. I mean, they're as expensive or more so than a, a freaking motorcycle. It's, it's crazy. Um, I would definitely, if you're wanting to spend under 1500 bucks, jump on Craigslist and buy a used bike. That's three or four or five years old. Uh, that was, you know, three or $4,000 brand new, that's going to be way better off than like going to, you know, going to a bike shop or especially say like Walmart or Costco or something like that and buying a brand new bike that costs a thousand dollars. The, the difference in quality and components, um, shocks, the, 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 the gears, um, the shifters, uh, brakes, um, it's just on a thousand dollar bike. It's just not that good, frankly. Like if you, you're going to, if you get into riding, you're quickly going to realize that that stuff's kind of junk. Uh, so, um, yeah, my, my definite advice would be if you're on a budget, just jump on Craigslist and buy something used. Um, you'll, you'll get a way better bike and, and they last for a long time and it's really easy to upgrade components as they wear out. So, um, you need to, new cassette on there, new brakes, whatever. Um, that stuff's a lot cheaper to do buying a used bike and fixing it up. Uh, I guess that's a long rant for him, but it's, uh, hopefully some good advice in there. I like it. Uh, the follow-up Steve on, we were talking shelters the other day and you mentioned going to New Zealand. Um, actually had a guy from New Zealand reach out, which is cool. It, you know, it's funny. I forget like the the reach of the podcast can be guys listening to this in New Zealand, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he wrote out and uh, basically would advise you to not bring the tarp tent you mentioned to New Zealand, which I know that trip's postponed. Um, so maybe if you're going next time, this is good feedback. Uh, he said he would not not recommend that shelter, not because it's a bad shelter, but it will drastically reduce your campsite options. He said that if he finds that a tent that depends 100% on peg hold can be hard to secure above the bush line where our ground is often sandy and loose and very uneven. Um, again, just it's one of those variables to consider as we talk about shelters is 
the specific situation or situations you foresee using it in. So again, you can have a great tent that's perfect for something, but the application for a different area, a different type of condition is going to, you know, change how effective that shelter can be, which is just a good reminder of that. Um, so yeah, maybe as we're changing plans for New Zealand, see if it's worth thinking through. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I had, um, had thought of it, you know, there's, um, you can, there's a, it's what it's one reason why, like, you know, uh, I'm kind of anti TP shelters because they're, they are 1000% dependent on stakes and getting a lot of stakes into the ground. Um, I think a, a great shelter design, like this tarp tent, um, even the, the granite mountain tarp that I use from, from Jimmy's tarps, it, it only requires five stakes. So a trekking pole and five stakes So you're, you're fairly, um, you know, you don't have to get that many stakes into the ground. You know, it's, you know, you only got to find five places to do it. And then how they do, uh, the guy lines are all on line lock cords, the same type of lock, um, buckle, um, ladder lock that we use on the side, um, pockets of our packs to cinch up the top. Uh, so that gives you a lot of, you know, you've got like a two foot range there to, to find a place to get the stake in the ground. Um, even on top of that though, I threw some, I was going to throw some extra stakes and like an extra 50 foot of cord that I normally wouldn't pack just so you could start like getting creative and tying things off. And, you know, if I had to carry over a, you know, a 18 inch boulder and slap it down next to the tent just to have something like to tie off a cord to and anchor it down. But it was definitely something I was aware of. And I'm sure, you know, it's like after going to Alaska a couple of times, this guy's always got local experience. Like, there's just, yeah, certain things you just, you know what, you just don't mess with and like, yeah, just have a good four season tent and be done with it. So I'm sure he's uh, obviously got a lot more experience than I do, which is zero uh, over there and um, some great feedback. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, as you were talking about that, just made me think we, we've never spoken directly about stakes. Are you picky on the type of stakes you use or specific stake that you use? Um, do you have different <laughs> options for different conditions? What's, what are your thoughts there? God, I feel like uh, um, <laughs> we're, we're geeking out on the gear side extensively. I, I'm laughing because <laughs> I feel like uh, I was relating to you about the, the reloading podcast because I haven't done the reloading yet. Like you hear all these different things you can geek out on and right. it's like, ah, you don't you don't have to do that. You don't have to simplify it. But yeah, to, to your question, yes, I do. I, I actually pack different stakes. Um, I've got some I think I just man, I ordered them years ago. They're. I think it was like a knockoff of the MSR groundhog steak, maybe. Um, pretty big, burly steak that's like eight inch, seven or eight inches long, and it's got like three kind of fins that come off of it. Um, I'll usually have two or three of those, and then I'll have three kind of lighter duty steaks. Um, so on the there's you know on the like the granite mountain shelter I use, there's a, a couple of the steaks. Um, the, the front door kind of entry one, that one's pretty critical that that's like really anchored well to the ground. The one that's in the back middle is less critical. So the only reason I'm packing different stakes is simply just to save weight, right? Those are, those burly ones are just a little bit heavier. So that's why I pack a combination of them. And, and, and then sometimes like the guy from New Zealand saying, sometimes it's really sandy and you just need a bigger, bigger stake to stick in the ground there and, and get some bite versus a lighter stake. And, um, I haven't done a lot of like testing on what works best. The uh, tarp tents come with a Easton makes them. They're just a round um, peg. 
Yeah. And I've had, I've had really good luck with those. Um, the those groundhog ones that I got. I think like I said I, I think they were a knockoff of the MSR groundhog I found on Amazon. Um, those bite really really well in um, like medium stuff, but in hard pack they're like near impossible to get in. I mean you really got to take a rock and hammer those suckers down in there. Um, and then uh, I've got a bunch of the standard. DAC ones, DAC, um, they're just a, a V, right? Um, those, those are going to come with any big Agnes tent, uh, most of the Hilleberg tents, um, and those seem to be okay. Um, they're probably the least favorite, but I've got a bunch of them, so I always end up having them in my pack. Got it. Uh, yeah, how about you? Uh, yeah, typically the, the groundhog style, uh, for lack of better terms, or like that tri-fin um, is what I've used most. That's um, you know, come with shelters that I've had in the past, such as the Nemo, and then also just been um, ones that I've picked up to have extras. Uh, I've used um, more of the standard, like the V-shape, but I don't know if it's the shape or just the quality of the ones that I've had. They've just been crappier. So I've, for the most part, standardized on the um, that groundhog style or that triple fin style. And yeah, in most conditions, it works well. As you said, in hard pack, that's one area where I've definitely struggled with them. Um, but it typically hasn't been too much of an issue for me, uh, to use those for, for most, most conditions. Who knew we could geek out about 10 stakes and socks so long, Steve? <laughs> no, I guess, uh, I guess that's what, uh, that's what this TSS is about. Just answering gear questions and getting into some random stuff that aren't, yeah, random anything stuff. Yeah. So. We definitely wouldn't set out to be like, you know what we should do is we should do a full episode on 10 stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, that's a wrap for today. We'll, uh, be back for more listener questions, whether they are nitty gritty geeky questions on gear, bring it on or tactics, anything like that. Send us that email to podcast at exomountgear.com. Let us know what you want to hear about and we'll tackle it. Thanks for tuning in.